0: I love it when we're getting ready to go. The engineer gives me the finger and we start the podcast. Thank you very much for joining us here at Inside My Canoe Head. Today, we're going to talk about our best friend and occupier of our life, stress. So sit back, grab your favorite stress-inducing beverage, and let's get at it. All right, thanks again for joining us. Listen, today, overwhelming stress. Seriously, there is somebody out there listening to this right now who clicked on it because, oh yeah, I'm living that life. I have this sucker that it almost seems bloody insurmountable at times, the stress in our lives and the pressure we feel. And it's just this unending struggle that we in the Army would always uh related to pushing a rope up hill you might hear me say that a lot but that's what it's in reference to so stress is required for the human body it is a natural thing that occurs in life it is part of your uh system that gives us little signals when things we need to be a little heightened awareness and things are a little bit uh, crazy you know we'll go back caveman days when people were trying to eat us or animals were trying to eat us maybe people ate us too in some places but anyhow You've got cortisol, adrenaline, uh, otherwise known as epinephrine, norepinephrine, dopamine. You have a whole series number, and this is not a science show, so I'm not going to go into it, but there are adrenal glands that sit on top of your kidney, whose entire purpose is to manage the level of these hormones and neurotransmitters being injected into your body. So as you receive an external stimuli that should heighten and kick in an awareness of to you, your body kicks out this chemical into your body and it has a specific effect because the body needs to have a mental-focused reaction. So it could be uh, cortisol, which is often called the stress hormone, which increases glucose in your bloodstream, essentially giving extra fuel to your uh, body to do what it needs to do. Adrenaline, or epinephrine. Uh, is very much related to your fight or flight mechanism uh, and dopamine, which is, we all know what dopamine is about. It's happy, joyful, and good experiences. So you get the realm of these chemicals induced uh, or into your body by your body to meet certain requirements. Now, we've all heard of the fight or flight mechanism. And when we talk about what the fight or flight mechanism does inside your body is your pupils dilate. Right to let in more light to better see your surroundings. Your skin turns pale as blood vessels receive a signal to divert blood to areas more in need of your blood's oxygen, such as your muscles or your core heart, so you can fight or run away. Uh, Your heart pumps harder and faster to deliver more oxygenated blood to areas most in need. Your muscles receive more blood flow and oxygen so they can react with greater strength and speed Your stored glycogen in your liver is converted to glucose to provide more energy and your breathing is deeper and faster. Your airways open up so more oxygen is delivered to your blood, which goes to your muscles. So your body is a well-tuned machine who has, by nature and hundreds of thousands of years, been designed to be able to react to this stimulus, right? So when you get a threat of to your life or an immediate threat of danger, your body is well designed known as the fight or flight mechanism. Sometimes you have to fight and most of the time you should run. And this is, goes to just something in our security, your animalistic requirements of security. there is that unlike very unlikely, exceptionally rare, use whatever descriptors you want, Time when you might actually have to physically engage with a threat. Now, it could be a barking uh, dog that's trying to bite you. It could be another human being who is blocking your exit route. Whatever it may be, that's what your fight or flight mechanism is designed to do. But this grounds into your now mental focus. So we know what your physical body reaction to a stressful stimuli is, right? Your body knows what to do. It kicks into gear. The next thing to engage is your mind. This is the part where environmental training comes in. And we spoke a bit, or I spoke a bit about in a blog that I wrote about, the old um, saying that the Jesuits used to say, show me the seven-year-old and I will show you the man. Young children up to about the age of four, especially and then partially from the age four to seven, their children are not born with the ability to know what to do in society. They learn. So every single activity and every single reaction that other humans have around them teaches the children what is culturally appropriate to respond to stimuli. They have their own fight or flight mechanism to keep them alive. But from a cultural environmental perspective, children are learning from what we do as to how to react. So by age seven, the research shows after that, the lessons don't really matter that much. They already know what is culturally appropriate and acceptable to do in high-stress situations because they've seen you and the other important people in their life do it. So this is why the next point is critical, and it's a reminder from the Stoics. We live in a world of dichotomy of control. You have control over very, very few things in your world, and the only two things you literally have control over is what you say and what you do. And that translates to meaning you choose how to react to stimulus from people, from events, and from choices. So, why you can't control the actions of other people in pretty much any way, shape, or form, you can't influence things that happen in the world, what you do have absolute control over is how you choose to respond. right? So you have those initial feelings that come in. Somebody does something that's really dumb. That initial anger that shows up is normal. It's a normal human emotion. What you do with it two and a half seconds later is cultural. It's environmental. It's learned. If you lash out and yell... That is something you learn to do from age zero to seven from the environment around you, and you naturally copy it. If you choose to scream and yell out loud when you hear bad news, that is learned. That is something you saw from zero to seven, and you learned as that being culturally appropriate response to receiving bad news. And the choices you make from that point forward are yours. But those initial emotions that come in, the fear, the anger, the joy, those initial things are normal human reactions. They are not within your control. What is within your control is what you do when you get that surge of rage comes into your body. That surge of rage is your initial body reaction and your emotion to a stimulus that's been presented to you. What you do with that rage is 100% up to you and 100% responsible. And the Stoics will say the number one thing that you can do, and and you read about this on millionaires' podcasts and on billionaires' uh, YouTube channels about the world, is breathe. And I know it sounds ridiculous. It really does. And sometimes some of this mindfulness stuff is a bit out there for me, and I'm not really a huge adopter, But what I do know is two deep breaths between the rage feeling and your next action will allow your cognitive sense to kick in and prevent you from doing really dumb crap that you learned before, right? Really dumb crap. You saw it in your childhood Now you're repeating it in your adulthood because that's how the human animal is designed. But you do have the cognitive ability to break that cycle through two deep breaths. And why is this important? Because this episode's about overwhelming stress. We get all faced with it around us. Most of it is beyond our control. The world seems to be pear-shaped. People are doing dumb things and saying dumb things. You get great opportunities and then you screw them up and then you want to beat your head against a wall, whatever it may be, we are living in a stressful world. And we're going to talk a bit about how to address that. But right now it's about what do I do in that freaking moment when when idiot one and idiot two do something totally stupid and all I want to do is smack them upside the head. Hey, you ever get that feeling? I get it all the time, right? That's that initial rage, and your learned reaction is to reach out and touch someone, as we like to say. Now, the deep breath, what it does is it creates a time break. It's hard to do, and a lot of times when initial things are said, people look for the initial reaction. Remember, the leaders of a group, the people in total control, And the people who have management over their emotions always speak last. This is why when you take a leadership course or when you take um, group courses or you take uh, management and presentation facilitation, uh, precipitory decision-making courses, they teach you to speak last. listen. Because what you're learning to do when you speak last in a room and you allow everybody else to have their reaction first, that is also the same as having your two deep breaths because it puts that cognitive break between the initial stimuli that flies into your face and your reaction. It's hard to do. It really is. This is not an overnight thing that you fix but it's either through taking two deep breaths and looking at the problem and not saying or doing anything. Obviously this, you know, if you have a physical threat, you're going to deal with it. Um, But the end result is the vast majority of stressful situations you get pressed in. You don't have to make a decision in the first second or two to save your life, right? You have that second to take the deep breath. Or if you're in a group of people, take and it may seem like forever, but you're literally taking 10 seconds to see what everybody else is doing. And then you what that gives is that time for that cognitive brain of yours to kick in to say, hey, woo, stop. This is, uh, this is dumb, but let's not make it worse. You ever hear that phrase before? I've been responsible for making certain things worse before. And then 30 seconds after I say something out loud and I get that time uh, to think, that uh, that cerebral pause, shall we say, I think I'm an idiot. I did something really dumb. I said something really dumb. So now I'm, am I not only did not dealing with the stressful incident anymore, I'm dealing with trying to deconstruct and take back the actions that I caused. And I'm trying to fix a situation that I contributed to. All of it could have been avoided if Jeff just shut up and wasted waited a couple of seconds to say something, right? Give yourself that pause before you initially react. Give yourself that pause to think and ponder. It is a huge, huge advantage. So, what do we do about stress? Let's let's be serious. And I'm doing this because um, th- this this episode is here for a very very personal reason. Uh, I'm going to leave that out because there's no need to, to get into descriptors, but tough times come to people and, and, and tough times have come home. And because of that, um, I, I, followed some of these rules that I've learned over the time. And I, and I thought I would take the time to share this with you. Um, so hopefully you learned the lesson that if you, uh, unfortunately are ever put in the situation that I'm in, uh, that you that you have the ability to, to deal with this stress. So, with that, you know, stress is normal for our lives, right? It's necessary for life. It's survival. It's built in. A certain amount of stress is good. It keeps the cognitive function going. It's an awareness mechanism. It puts you under a little bit of um, a little bit of challenge. Uh, it, it's part of our mental health as well. I mean, let's be serious. If you go. If you believe in intermittent fasting, which I do, and you try it every once in a while and you feel hungry and your reaction to hunger is to smile and accept and embrace the hunger, uh, it's stressful, right? It, it, so stress is not an entirely horrible thing, right? But it, it's listed under your mental health, as we talk about in uh, in our book, Preparedness Simplified, the Beginning, and our education system that we're, we're going to be offering, which is going to be launched next month we talk about dealing with stress, dealing with your mental health, taking championship of it. And it's about understanding, and there are certain things you can do. And the first is to list your stress. And I say this repeatedly, and it's the first thing that I write about in the book. It's the first thing that I talk about in our course. It's the first thing that I talk about on our mental health uh, podcast episode is you have to take some personal time and make a three-column diagram. Now I use a whiteboard because then I can take a picture with my phone and I can erase it and nobody else sees it. But I'm a whiteboard guy. If you know me, I love writing stuff on whiteboards because it's brainstorming with no recording, which is another thing. Because if you leave stuff around and somebody finds a piece of paper scrimpled up that has you talking about planning uh, your exit strategy from something, and then all of a sudden they're like, what are you doing? And they found out. So anyhow, you make the three column list. And the column list, the first list is going to be everything that you do in the run of a day. So think about the normal day, everything other than normal human abolutions, which is, um, We used to say poop, shower, shave type of thing. Uh, Leave those out. You're going to eat. You're going to use the bathroom. You're going to shave. You're going to wash, right? But everything else you do, absolutely everything else, including your TikTok time, everything that you do in the run of a day. And the middle column is is absolutely every organization that you belong to, ones that are work-related, ones that are personal-related, ones that are family-related. So this is a list of all the activities and organizations you belong to, right? And then the next thing is, is people, every single person in your life. And and I for this to put in the column, I put uh, um, a Tom Holland quote, quote. when he was, uh, he was at a talk show and he was, and Tom Holland played Spider-Man and is, and is engaged to Zaya now, if you, uh, if you forget who Tom Holland is. Anyhow, he, he had a great quote with a, with a British, um, um, Talk show host, and it was basically he said, "If you have a problem with me, text me. If you don't have my number, you don't know me well enough to have a problem with me." So write down all of the people that you interact with in your life. This isn't about positive or negative; it's about everybody you interact with in your life. So when you sit back and you look at this piece of paper or this board, you basically have your external life laid out in front of you. Other than the things you need to do to stay alive. Here are all the things you do, the organizations you belong to, and the people you interact with, right? It's basically laying out your stimulus in front of you. So all of these things bring stimulus into your life. All of these things you interact with. That's why it's important to lay it out. Now, this is the brutally honest part, right? This is the part you need to do with Nobody else around, and this is just for you. And if you're not brutally honest with yourself, then you're wasting your freaking time, right? You got This is why you do it alone, so that you can look that incredible person in the mirror and say, this is me. You put an asterisk beside things that on balance bring you stress, right? So you have uh, activities you do in the run of a day that bring you stress. Like, for example, commuting. I don't do well in busy traffic in cars. Whole bunch of reason for that. Not going to talk about it on the podcast. But I don't do well in traffic in cars. So commuting to work in my car is going to get an asterisk. That's what I mean. The balance of time executing that activity brings me stress or the the idea of thinking about that activity brings me stress. Same thing with organizations. I love being part of the organization, but I'm freaking pulling my hair out or it's causing me stress or, oh my, I got to do this again. Whatever your frame may be, that's what you put the asterisk down. And then when you get to people, simply put on balance, when I spend time with this person or interact with them, do I come away from it with happier joy or do I come away with it with stress and drama? So you have those asterisks and that is brutally important for you to do because your next step is to eliminate those things which you can because again stress is part of life you can't stop commuting to work unless you're going to go live off the grid and live off berries you can forage in the forest and sleep under a wood shelter you're going to construct from fallen dead trees you're going to have to work which means you're going to probably have to deal with some stress so it's not about eliminating all stress It's about eliminating the sources of stress that you have the ability to eliminate, right? So we talk about in mental health about access to your calendar as well. But this is basically going through all of those stimulus in your life, all of those activities, organizations, and people that you interact with that cause you stress. Which one of those can be shown the front door? right? Yeah, learning to fire toxic people is a hard thing to do, but it's a great skill to have, right? So you're choosing to be and embrace things that have calm, peace and calm, or very little anxiety is raised when you do these activities. It's about designing your life. It's about looking at your life and determining, I'm living a high-stress uh, overwhelming stress at times, life right now, and I don't know what to do. Have you ever had that thought? Well, that caption there gives you an idea. It, it allows you to no poop, have a look, and clearly identify the sources of your stress. Now, not all of them can go away, not all of them can be dealt with, but I'm telling you, this exercise of writing it down, imagining it in your mind, and seriously taking the time to do it is transformative. Because you can look at that board, and if you start eliminating voluntary things that can go, activities, organizations, and people, and again, like I said in the podcast before, this is not your Walmart firing moment and your big drama of having your, your 15 seconds of fame on TikTok by recording something. It's just about quietly quitting. Quietly quitting toxic humans is basically you just cease communications if they text you you answer in one word 24 hours after they text you it's quiet quitting it's just letting them go just letting them drift off into cyberspace whatever it may be right so it's it's incredibly but what do how do i design a better life and this is something that i've done before and this is something i've sat down and had to do not all that long ago in a history when I came to a point in my life and I realized that my military career was coming to an end, all good things must end. And, and part of this stimulus was actually a great quote from my son who said, when I was, you know, he, he could clearly see that I was struggling with what to do next. Like, what am I supposed to do? Everybody's, you know, your career comes to an end. What are you supposed to do next? Or you don't want to do this anymore. What are you supposed to do next? And he said to me, uh, He said, dad, everybody releases and retires from the army at one point or another. Everybody has to go. Why not do it at your time of choosing and do what you want? And just something simple like that out of the blue from him was transformative. Because then when I went down into my famous whiteboard office here, and I'm staring at my whiteboard as I'm talking to the microphone, uh, then I decided to design the perfect life. Again, three columns. On the left is what am I doing now? So I wrote down absolutely everything that I was spending time on. So if I executed, if I gave any significant period of time to to an activity, work, leisure, home, entertainment, sports, all those columns, like I, everything that I do, was lift on the left. Right? This is the this is the uh, as my old boss. Uh, Colonel O, now Brigadier General O, used to say, uh, open your kimono, right? He used to say all the time, sometimes you just have to open your kimono to the world, show it all, and then take it from there. So this is about create being honest with you. And again, this is, can be transformative too, because when you put down your entire life in one column, this is how I'm living my life. And you look at that, in totality of all the pieces together, it can be transformative when you're like, I don't understand why. And this is, again, this is not about beating yourself up. This is not about kicking yourself down. This is about realizing that I am in control of a very, very few set of things in this world, but why don't I take control of what I do control? So then on the right-hand side, the third column, we're going to leave the middle one blank for now. On the right-hand side, you're going to create, what do I want to do? If I was to sit down and design my life right now, what would it look like? And the question is not, I'm going to live on a yacht. I'm, You know, let's, let's be realistic, but be honest with yourself. What are you going to do for work? What are you going to do for leisure? What are activities are you and your best friend spouse like I have going to do? Like what are you what does your ideal clear wonderful life look like? Right? Write it down. Write it down. This is not like oh I can't really do this. Write it down. Now, you have the left and the right. Okay? Now you're going to now you're going to put the pieces together. When you have this is what I do for a living. And this is what I want to do for a living. And I'll give you a prime example. On my left was an army officer. I was an army officer, plateaued in his career, okay? Perfectly fine. This wasn't the army that, I had reached what they call terminal rank, and it wasn't the army that did that to me. I don't blame the army whatsoever. I had a great career. Choices I made within the choices that were presented to me led me to the point where I had reached terminal rank, right? Right. I was a major in the army, I was not going to become a lieutenant colonel. So that was on the left. I now I could do, I at the time when I was doing this, I could do that career terminal for 13 more years until I had mandatory retirement. On the right was I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to start an online business selling something. I wanted to be a part-time professor in the master's program that I had just completed. And then I want to be an author. I want to write books. I wasn't doing any of those three things. But that's if you asked me to write my life, that's what I would be doing. Those were my... Those were my goals. And this was 2017 when I wrote this list. It is now 2023, six years later, and I am a part-time professor. I start teaching in about 14 days on my first course as a professor. Uh, I have an online entrepreneurial business. The first two iterations of it failed miserably. I'm on the third, but that's how you learn as an entrepreneur. And I am an author. I have a book that I wrote. It is published available on Amazon for $7 ebook. And I have a plan to start writing another book in the beginning of November. So I'm actually doing it. I, I did change from a Army officer, too. I went from the left to the right of that. Now, the middle column, which we haven't talked about, is the how. So what did I want? What did I need to have to be a professor? So for the role that I wanted to fill, because you don't you don't have to have a PhD uh, to be a professor, but I wanted one. So I needed to get a PhD to do that job. How to be an entrepreneur. Well, I had to find something that I was truly, utterly, magically and passionate about that I would love to do and swing my legs out of bed every morning to tackle. I had to figure out what that was. That was a middle line, right? And then when it came to author, what was I going to write about? What kind of book was I going to write? So these decisions were in the middle column. And so I filled in what I wanted to do right? I want to teach preparedness. Preparedness matters to me. People matter to me. And I want to make my community more resilient and better suited and positioned to deal with exogenous shocks that are beyond their control. I'm passionate about it. It's what I do now. I swing my legs out of bed every morning. I can't wait to get after it. This is an incredible occupation. So I'm trying to be an entrepreneur in that space. I write books in that space. And guess what I also, I teach in that space. I teach in a disaster and emergency management program as a PhD holding professor. Right. I wrote the life I wanted and it took six years to get or took five years to get there. The PhD took me five and a half years to finish and it took about five years to start the negotiations and the discussion about becoming a professor. So this is not an overnight change, but this is what you do. What am I doing now? What do I want to be doing? And that center column is, what do I need to do to get from A to B? It's not overnight, right? And how do you do it? And a perfect map is when you're looking at the individual. And this is what we talk about in our course and in the book is basically looking yourself in the mirror. We talk about the rule of threes, right? You are in control of your physical, your mental, and your financial health. Within your physical health, you control your diet, your exercise, and sleep patterns, Within your mental health, you control the list of things that you interact with. You control your access to your calendar and you control whether you keep toxic people in your life. And your financial health, you control whether you run out of month before you run out of money. You control whether you have a robust retirement plan that meets your goal. And you control whether you have an emergency fund or not. So rule of three. So if you put those nine things down on a map as a as a placeholder if you want to what am, how's my diet uh exercise and how is my sleep patterns where they are now and where i want to be then you draw a map in the middle how do i get from my overweight more not morbidly obese but slightly obese self to a healthy weight which for my weight is 180 for example i i know where i am At this time when I did this model for myself, I weighed 237 pounds and my ideal weight was 180 pounds for my size and body mass, right? Okay, that my friends is 57 pounds. You don't lose that healthily overnight. That's probably at least six, if not nine months to a year to lose that healthily. So I needed a plan to get from A to B, right? This rolls back to overwhelming stress. The first thing is to understand that initial... Just that three-second break of two deep breaths, that keeps you going. That keeps you from saying or doing something dumb, right? Because we all have and we see people around us. And then you get a cognitive kick in and you have the ability to sink through. If there's a bunch of people arguing about something, speak last, Let everybody go through, get it off their chest, have emotions fuel their words, and then you come in at the end and you slam dunk everybody with educated, calm words. It's brilliant. It's an absolute brilliant strategy. But then it's understanding what causes me stress and what can I do about it. Because you're in control, right? There are a lot of organizations and activities you do that bring you stress and you're not legally required to do any of them. I fired myself from a number of community activities because while they were beneficial to the community and while there were good people in them, overall, they were taking valuable time from me and they were bringing stress into my life. So I simply resigned. I resigned from whatever position I had. I stopped my involvement. I stopped volunteering, not because I was a jerk, but because I needed to reduce those things that cause stress. I fired toxic people out of my life, people that uh, did not bring me joy and happiness, people whose face did not light up when I walked into a room. I simply let them go. No, they didn't get the Walmart treatment. I just stopped texting them. I just stopped talking to them. They went away. One of the greatest things that I did for myself was I removed from Facebook. Now, inside my canoe head has a page on Facebook. Please go look it up and follow it. But I also have a personal profile attached to it. Uh, I just had to walk away from Facebook because it was a toxic place, right? It was a toxic place for human beings. I don't know if it still is because I periodically pop back there. I mean, maybe once a month or twice a month when I'm looking for somebody that I want to find or interact with for some reason, I'll go to Facebook and find them on the Facebook people search. And to do that, I need to use my profile. Uh, And then I back out, right? I'm just, I'm just done with the toxic toxicity. So I fired it. I fired Facebook. So it's, Understanding overwhelming stress is first understanding that you're not going to live a stress-free life if you want to stay alive, that you're going to have stress in your life, but that the vast majority of it is actually within your control. And you will only take control when you make a positive effort, an example I described with the three columns, of writing it down, looking to see what you can eliminate, and starting to reduce the external stress that is brought into your life and then also being able to take that deep breath and speak last so that you have the time not to do dumb things that increase stress and then to sit down and design your life right because there's nothing that will bring you joy faster than accepting the fact that like for me I had to look in the mirror I was out of shape overweight and under a huge amount of stress, right? I wasn't sleeping properly and I was eating everything that my hands could get their their hand on, right? I had to look myself in the mirror and pull a David Goggins and call myself out for what it was. But then when I wrote a map of where I wanted to be and I realized that, Jeff, you want to be over here but it's going to take you a freaking year to get there, right? So I didn't allow myself to get beat up the fact that I was 237 pounds. I let myself experience joy because I was on the road to 180. And I'm still on that road. I'm not there yet. I'm far better than I used to be. I think the last time I weighed myself, it was 216. Um, I'm doing better. Uh, the exercise will ebb and flow, but I'm working towards a goal. So I feel. Awesome because I'm doing something about the things that cause me stress. That's it. This was an important episode for me to get out due to a whole bunch of circumstances um, in life. And and I just wanted to share it because there are a lot of people out there today who are living with an exceptional level of stress in their lives, especially with inflation and finances and stress and jobs and the economy, and what it's doing to them and their friends, and they just can't seem to get ahead. There is a lot of stress that that brings. So learning tools and learning ways to deal with that stress is exceptionally important. And the one thing that I'll say, if you listen to nothing else, hey, if you've gotten this far, thanks. Map out your future. Map out your future to a realistic place that you want to be. Like I said, I changed from a job I was doing to the job I'm doing now. It was five and a half years. Yours doesn't have to be that long. So this is just to say it's overnight. That journey is a lot of fun. There's a lot of up and downs on that journey. But here I am sitting out at the other end with a PhD, a professor. I've launched and I'm in the process of launching what I think are gonna be some very successful tools for everybody to help in preparedness. Uh, I've written a book and I'm writing more. I'm doing exactly what I want to do in my life. That is an incredibly powerful thing. And I left something that I did not want to do anymore to do something that I did want to do. And guess what? It took a number of years, but that roadmap was a lot of fun. Now there were some some serious struggles in the PhD in times that I would think this wouldn't work out in my favor, but here I am. So... Take the time to take care of your mental health. Take the time to manage stress. Remember, the Stoics were not wrong when they said, you control but two things. I control what I say and I control what I do. And that all stems from the fact that I control what I think. Those initial emotion reactions to external stimuli are part of normal human anger. A normal human life. And I clearly say, and I say this and people get mad at me when I say this all the time, but I'll leave you with this thought. If you, if somebody does something dumb and you're angry for two seconds, that's your autonomic system. If you're five seconds lang, you're still angry at the person, that's your fault, not theirs. Accepting that is a huge step. So thanks for joining us this week at Inside My Canoe Head. I hope this coming weekend is going to be brilliant for you. I hope you take a couple of things from this podcast about overwhelming stress, put them into place, and at least gain uh, a small amount of more control in your life, a small amount of influence over how you're doing, and start to turn that ship around. It may take time, but I think you're worth it. And I think if you look yourself in the mirror and do these exercises on your own with nobody else around, you'll realize you're worth it. So drop us a line at PreparednessLabs.ca. drop over to www.insidemycanoehead.ca, see everything you like. And if you appreciate what we do here, just drop down to buy me a coffee slash I am canoe head and buy me a coffee. Simple black coffee, I appreciate it. So take care, stay safe, and we'll see you next week. Yeah,